Stand with me for our gospel lesson this morning from Luke 24, starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms would be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what God has promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Friends, the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now I'd like to dismiss our kindergarten through second graders if you'd like to go to children's worship with Pastor Renee. Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The week after Easter this year, the New York Times released an article entitled, Lots of Americans are losing their religion. Are you? In this article, they share about how somewhere between 6,000 to 10,000 churches are shutting down in the U.S. every year right now. Some of them are being repurposed, others simply demolished. Now, we know this all too well especially here in our own neighborhood in the Highlands. The church just down the block from us closed after the pandemic and is now in the process of being converted into apartment units. Another church down Bardstown Road has become an office building. And then another, not much further down, is now a local favorite Mexican restaurant, complete with a bar in the balcony surrounded by all the organ pipes and the restaurant's bathroom in the old pastor's study. And it's sobering to see people enjoying tacos and margaritas in the church's sanctuary, surrounded by stained glass windows. But it's important to note that this decline in church attendance across the country does not necessarily reflect a significant shift in people's religious beliefs. In fact, when the Barna Group asked people last year in the U.S. whether they had a positive or negative opinion of Jesus and who he was, 70% said they viewed Jesus positively. 
In fact, the group who was the most keen on Jesus was actually the millennials, 71% of whom said their commitment to Jesus was very important to them. The shift that we are seeing isn't in people's spirituality. It is in how people view present-day followers of Jesus. It's a shift in people's views and experiences in the church. For instance, when asked to consider how the following phrases describe present-day Christians, listen to how this same group of people who was polled last year responded. When they were asked, is Christianity a faith you respect? 15% said yes. Does modern-day Christianity reflect good values and principles? 18% said yes. Does it reflect love for other people? 15% said yes. Is Christianity generous? Only 15% of people thought so. Does modern-day Christianity help to protect the vulnerable? 11% said yes. Now, these percentages started increasing when these descriptions of Christianity were used instead. Is modern-day Christianity racist? 22% said yes. Is it hateful? 25% said yes. Is it sexist? 29%. Is it homophobic? 40%. Out of touch with reality? 38%. Judgmental? 48%. And hypocritical? 49% of people said yes. The work of Christians is to embody Jesus and to reflect God's image in all that we say and do, says David Kinneman, who's the CEO of the Barna Group, doing this polling. But the data shows that we all too often fall short. I thought it was worth our time to reflect on these statistics on Ascension Sunday, when we remember Jesus's final instructions to the disciples. You will be my witnesses, he says in Acts, or in our gospel reading. You are witnesses of all of these things that I have said and done. I am entrusting this to you now. And yet somehow, somewhere along the way, the church's witness in the world has become so distorted and misconstrued or so gimmicky and disingenuous or so self-righteous and paternalistic that it looks nothing like the Jesus you and I seek to follow. It's like the quote often attributed to Gandhi who once said, I like your Christ just not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, you might be thinking to yourself right now, Mary Alice, we we know all this already. We would say those same sort of things about the modern-day depictions and experiences of Christianity that we have seen and known ourselves. 
In fact, it's the common narrative that brings so many of us to this space, to Highland, because we have been wounded and hurt by previous experiences and expressions of Christianity, and we are looking to inhabit our faith in another way. We're trying to do things a better way. Like our friend Steve Brown often reminds us, we are the Baptist butts. We are Baptists, but not that kind of Baptist. (laughs) But I would also say to us that it's not enough for us to just do our own Highland Church thing here in this beautiful little bubble at the corner of Grinstead and Cherokee in Louisville, Kentucky. Because this message we are given on Ascension Sunday is that our job perhaps now more than ever before, is to bear witness, to tell a bigger and better story than the one that the world is currently being told. Now, I recognize that for many of us in the room today, the word witness has a lot of baggage, so I will just go ahead and name that for us. I still remember the intense pressure that was put on us growing up to witness to others, meaning to share the ABCs of the plan of salvation with someone else, even complete strangers. I remember I was traveling somewhere in high school, and it was one of my very first flights, and I felt so much anxiety because I felt like it was my personal responsibility, my duty to witness to the passenger seated next to me. Now, I didn't know them at all. <laughs> and I would probably never see them again. And so their eternal salvation was in my hands. <laughs> the plane hit some turbulence that day. <laughs> and that kicked me into gear. <laughs> And so the plane starts rattling, and I began asking them if they believed in God. (laughs) And I shared my belief with them that God was going to take care of us on this very bumpy flight. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Looking back, I remember having this conversation with this poor stranger, and it It felt so wrong to me at the time. It felt so disingenuous and inauthentic. I felt icky for even having it, but then at the same time, I felt guilty for not going through the whole Roman's road with them. It was this relentless cycle of religious trauma in those days, and I was darned if I did and darned if I didn't. So please hear me say this morning that when I say witness... That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the type of encounter I want any of us to have. When I Googled witness this week, one of the first things that popped up was 60-second witness evangelism training. And that's just not what I have in mind. I'm not talking about a gimmick or a tract or an elevator speech. I think that's part of why we have those statistics. That's part of why we're in this whole mess in the first place. After all, consider what it means to be a witness. It's a firsthand account, sharing what you personally have seen or experienced and know to be true. And as St. Francis reminded us, we are to preach the gospel at all times, 
if necessary, he said, use words. Because our everyday lives, our commitments, our priorities, our relationships, our work for justice and love and God's world and this hope that we share, these are all ways that we bear witness in God's world. We have a bigger and better story to share, friends, and our lives are called to bear witness to that. One of my favorite new writers, Debbie Thomas, tells a story about being at a conference called Why Christian a few years back. And I think I've talked about this one before, but it's one of those that we need to hear over and over again. We need to be able to proclaim for ourselves, why Christian? So she said she gathered that year with others from around the country at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, all of them attempting to answer this question. Why do we claim to be followers of Jesus? Amidst all of the other challenges and disappointments of the church, amidst all the historic and contemporary ways that it has utterly failed, And after some of their own faith-shaking traumas in their own lives, why did they still have skin in this Jesus game? She says, if I went to the conference expecting an answer, a single coherent and conclusive answer to the question, why Christian, I didn't hear it. But what I heard instead were variations of this. Here's what happened when the pain Trauma, loss, and disappointment of my life bumped up against the inexplicable love of God. Why, Christian? Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about what happened when this specific death that I thought would be the end of me, the death of a loved one, the death of a relationship, a dream, a belief, an expectation, a hope for my life. Let me tell you what happened when that encountered resurrection. Here's what it felt like when all of the world's no's collided with the divine yes in my life. You see, the world hears so many no's from the church today, from people who think they are defending God, defending their faith. And I know that in a faith community like ours, we have heard a lot of no's within our lifetimes too. It's why those statistics I listed are what they are, because whether implicitly or explicitly, we have heard things like, no, that's not who God created you to be. No, that's not how God intends for you to live, or that's not who God wants you to love. No, there's no space for you here. No, you're not really welcome here. The sign just says that. No, you're not supposed to be asking questions like that. No, you can't believe that. No, you're not allowed to do that. Women are too emotional to do that. LGBTQ folks sure can't do that. No, you're not good enough, holy enough, faithful enough, strong enough. You are not enough. Think of all the no's that we have heard from people claiming to represent Christ. 
And somehow, somewhere along the way, the resounding and devastating word that the church has borne witness to in God's world has become no. But Highland, I believe that you and I are called to bear witness to God's divine yes in the world. Yes, you are a child of God. Yes, you are created in God's perfect image. Yes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, yes, yes. Because we are called to bear witness to a bigger and better story than the one that the world is being told. And the reality is that there are lots of simple and tangible ways that you and I can bear witness together as Highland these days. You can march with us in the Pride Parade in a few weeks, help out at the Pride booth at Kentuckiana Pride so that our wider LGBTQ plus community knows that against the backdrop of so many no's is the joyful and jubilant voice of God's resounding yes. We can bear witness to the God who extravagantly loves us, not in spite of, but precisely because of all that makes each of us unique. You can come to Beer and Hymns tonight at 7 o'clock at West 6 in Nulu as we sing songs of our faith together with folks across our community who have heard no one too many times. And you can bear witness to this love of God that truly knows no bounds. You could give financially to Highland to our sacred space campaign, to the missional causes we support. Now you might be thinking, "Uh uh-oh, where in the world are you going with this one? (laughs) But these things are connected too, because we bear witness by putting our money where our mouth is. The reality is that we are over $100,000 behind budget right now as we reach this halfway point in the year. But your faithful giving ensures that our beloved community of Baptist butts (laughs) doesn't follow the trajectories that so many other churches are experiencing right now. Your giving to these important causes helps us to empower this work of love that we share day in and day out so that Highland can continue to bear witness to a bigger and better story in God's world for generations to come. You see, the reality is that this work of bearing witness is hard. It costs us something. Jesus didn't leave the disciples in this kind of nonchalant way. He entrusted them with something big. But I remember the the blessing of William Sloan Coffin. May God bless you with the grace to risk something big for something good. And I think this is a risk worth taking. I think we have it within us to do this hard and holy work. Frederick Beekner says, we have it in us to be Christ to each other. We have it in us to work miracles of love and healing as well as to have them worked upon us. We have it in us to bless with Christ and forgive with Christ and heal with Christ and maybe even to grieve with some measure of grief at another's pain and to rejoice with some measure of his rejoicing at another's joy, almost as if it were our own. 
because he says, it is our business to bear witness, to live out of and to live toward and live by God's holy story as it seeks to stammer itself forth through the holy stories of us all. And so may our church and may each of our lives always bear witness to a bigger and better story. We have it in us, friends. Let's do it. Amen.